This episode is sponsored by Vulture, high-performance cloud compute, bare metal, and storage in 25 locations all over the world. Sign up and get $200 free credit to use in 30 days at getvultr.com slash L-A-D. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Let's start today with something that you had on your mind, Dalton. Yeah, I was talking to a coworker about this lately. One of the things that we say is a benefit of open source is that if the vendor ever goes away, you can just keep updating that software and use it for yourself. Is that maybe an invalid benefit, though? I find it more likely that people are just going to keep running the last version of the software that they liked and never update it, rather than try and band together to update it further. And that's just as possible for using proprietary software as well. So is that really a benefit of open source? Well, take, for example, the Python audio visualizer that we talked about in the last episode. I mean, Joe's hardly going to fork that and rewrite it to support QT5, right? Like, we just are where we are with it. And, I mean, Joe, you're going to some fairly extreme lengths to keep it running, or potentially going to have to. So, yeah, I think at least the likelihood of an individual user forking something and keeping it running, pretty low. Yeah, but a business paying someone to do it isn't out of the question. No, and there are a few a smattering of examples of successful forks in that sense, but I think there has to be a weight behind the project in a certain direction. You know, the job I do is HPC and the scheduler for it is Univa Grid Engine, which is a fork. <laughs> so, and a very, very successful one that continues to be used because uh, Oracle are a bunch of bastards, basically, is the reason. <laughs> so there's quite a few <laughs> examples like that. But yeah, with the with the Python audio visualizer, there is, in fact, more than one attempted fork and a couple of updated branches, all of which I gather from Joe, crash. <laughs> don't work. Well, again, maybe I'm being unfair there. I should give them another go. But when I last tried them, they weren't as stable. Because the old version, when it works, works absolutely perfectly. And that's kind of my thing, isn't it? I just find something that works and stick with it. But I could pay someone to bring it up to date if I wanted to, if I had the budget to do so. That's true. You know a couple of Python developers. One of them is in this show. But I think my hourly rate is a bit more than you'd want to spend to do something like that. So I guess it is fair that if something's used by enough businesses, it probably will continue to exist after the vendor goes away. Uh, I just don't know how likely that is. I think about the Python libraries that I use uh, for the projects that I create for the college, and I think that if any of them went away, it'd be more likely that I would just find a new one or an alternative rather than forking it and continuing to maintain it even under our name. Yeah, because you have to do a cost-benefit analysis. That cost might not necessarily be a monetary cost. It might just be a time cost. But you have to assess the situation. My business needs this bit of software. What is going to cost more in terms of time and money? Keep using the old one and somehow support it and maybe firewall it off, segment it off somehow. Pay someone to fork it or maintain it or find something else. And you just have to do that analysis and whatever conclusion you come to you've got to do what makes sense that's true and i suppose it is better to have that option than to not have it and just well you're screwed now bye uh that a lot of vendors do especially in the medical software field 
Yeah, and that happened recently in IoT as well with Instion. They just suddenly sent an email out and just said, okay, bye, we're done. And what can you do? Unless, you know, there is efforts with things like Tasmota and and uh, Tapo products where they try and create an open protocol. But if you haven't got there fast enough and seen it coming on the brow of the hill, then yeah, at least you have the option when there is a chance to fork to continue. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with Joe. It, it does depend on the weight of sentiment for the project, how many people are willing to actually, you know, because quite often <laughs> the stumpy feet rage brigade throwing peanuts on Reddit, when something they don't like happens to an open source project, one of the first things first things people will do is go, right, I'm forking it. Now, sometimes that works quite well. You think of uh, YouTube DL. I actually use a fork of that now, even though YouTube DL was pulled back out of that DMCA hole and everything was okay again. I use uh, YTDLP instead, just because I like a few of the extra features that the fork has. And it seems like when platforms break, it gets fixed a bit more quickly. But there does sometimes tend to be a, right, I'm creating my own fork now because I don't like this. And then it's like, okay, you go ahead and do that and see whether you can actually do it. And then it kind of peters out a bit. Well, see, Glimpse for the perfect example of that. They weren't happy with the name of GIMP, which I have gone on record to say is a stupid name and they should change it. But there just didn't turn out to be enough momentum behind the Glimpse fork for it to carry on long term. Mm-hmm. Well, even in bigger projects, this is this is also a problem, right? So you think of when OpenOffice was forked into LibreOffice. It's a massively successful fork from a technological point of view, right? OpenOffice has basically stagnated for the last 10 years, whereas LibreOffice has yeah, really gone forward and arguably improved. But if you ask the average person what LibreOffice is, they wouldn't have a clue, but they probably heard of OpenOffice. Yeah, if you say to the average person, I don't want to use Microsoft Office anymore, any suggestions, they're generally going to say OpenOffice. Funnily enough, I was in France with my uh, my wife's uncle and I was setting up Linux on a machine for him. And then I showed him LibreOffice and he said, oh, I bought something in Fnac and Fnac's like HMV over there um, a few years ago. And he brings out this DVD case of OpenOffice that he bought for like 20 euros in the Fnac. And he was much more aware of that. And he was still a little bit nervous. He was like, oh, it's going to be different. It's like, yeah, because it's been updated recently. <laughs> yeah, that's really symbolic for me of a fork that we would argue has worked, but hasn't gained the mind share that it would have done because people outside of our community just haven't heard of it and probably continue to download OpenOffice. People probably still search for CyanogenMod for their phone. Oh, I never even considered that. Or Clockwork Mod. I think you can still get own cloud as well with the own cloud and next cloud those sort of uh, transitions in names it, it's quite hard to get the mind share along with the fork and i think you're right gary the fact that is it's the apache foundation is that what they're still called yes they're clinging on to that name i think that's kind of testament and the fact that libra office are like come on now that's enough it's true that's how much weight it carries um and it is sometimes quite hard to carry sentiment and mind share along with it but these are all cases where someone said i'm taking my ball and i'm going somewhere else in a project while the original project still continued in some sense i was thinking more the original project just dies yeah and in that case i think the conclusion we came to that you have to really care about the project or really really need it for your business and have the money to employ someone is true i don't think as an individual person 
I would pay someone to fork a project and I don't have the skill to do it myself. And it's a really difficult position to be in, isn't it? Like we all say that, yeah, it's great because you could just fork it and keep using it. But the reality of that is not quite the same. But then you look at something like Pigeon, which has been going for at least 20 years, surely at this point. And that's had various maintainers and people leading the project. And that hasn't been dropped and it hasn't been necessary to fork it. But people have been able to pick up the code as open source and carry on with it. And that's a really good case when the old maintainer is around and willing to give up control to the new maintainer. So I think that is a really good case and it's a shining example of how open source should work. Yeah, and what you used to do as well with Ubiports, Ubuntu Touch, Canonical was quite uh, forthcoming and let you lot use the trademark and stuff. Yeah, extremely gracious on their part and they still continue to do it. And I, I appreciate that. It gives the original name its continued luster and the new product its luster that it had. And sometimes forks can create a bridging period. I'm thinking here of OpenWRT, which I use. I'm a big fan of it. Um, for a while, it became LEED or LEDE, however you want to pronounce it, L-E-D-E, for a period because of frustration with slow releases and various development protocols. But in the end, a consensus was reached that everyone was happy to go back to calling it OpenWRT and everything melded together. So it forked off for a while for a different development process and everything made up in the end, which is also, I think, a fairly positive outcome in the end. Because let's face it, OpenWRT is a better name than LEAD or, Le or a name you don't even know how to pronounce. So yeah, there can be uh, positive sides to it. But again, that project had slowed down and changed as opposed to the brakes slamming on. And I think that's where it's really hard, where maybe there's a bus factor behind the project or one person just decides to give up and they've been doing so much. If it's a sudden rug pull, I think that can be really hard, even if there is quite a lot of sentiment behind it. If you're not in the position, and even if you might want to go for a fork, you then realize, oh, there's actually quite a lot of work to do here. That's when it can be quite challenging. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Go to K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-A-D to sign up today. Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Collide helps deal with some of the many issues that are not solved by locking down devices, like instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com LAD. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-A-D. Quick bit of admin. Thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can learn more at linuxafterdark.net slash support. And remember for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, 
Linux Downtime, and Late Night Linux. And if you want to get in contact, the email is show at linuxafterdark.net. So the other day, when I was uh, tired and emotional, let's say, I came up with a great idea. Let's do a challenge. And that challenge is find the lowest end bit of hardware that you own that can run some sort of Linux and do something useful with it. Now, when I first proposed this, you lot started asking me, <laughs> well, define useful. I said, ah, that's part of the challenge. That is the uh, most difficult part of this challenge I found, was working out what useful thing to do with the hardware. So Dalton, you think you've won this challenge by the sounds of things. You said Linux there, and that makes me more worried. Well, open source, I guess, counts. Still a problem. Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here we have a Power Macintosh G4 400, the AGP model. The exact order number on this, M7641LL-A. You're welcome. This specific Mac shipped between February 16th, 2000 and July 19th, 2000. This device is 22 years old. <laughs> well, hang on. You said you're worried about the Linux aspect of this. These things can run Debian, can't they? I'll get to it. <laughs> Please let me do this. I, I really like old hardware. <laughs> okay. Uh, this example is in almost perfect external physical condition because it spent its entire life as an iCal server in a locked room with the lights off. So there's no fading, nothing. It looks great. For my part, I've upgraded to 500 megabytes of SD RAM, and I put in a compact flash card in place of its hard disk, so it's uh, a little bit faster. But the original stuff still works. Also, the power supply fan failed, so running it for long periods of time is a bad idea. Yeah, and opening up a power supply to try and fix that fan is a bad idea. Yeah, and getting a spare, I appreciate, yeah. Anyway, enough of your nerdery. What did you do with this thing? So I was stalling because I'm about to lose the challenge. I checked my email on this device. That's a useful thing. Okay. But you didn't use Linux. That's where you lose. Yes. So I tried to get Linux running. I really tried. I downloaded Adelie Linux, which is not a very fast running project anymore. But from what I gather, it was going to be just Linux for these older devices or lower end things that you want to keep working, uh, as well as just a professional distribution. It uses the APK package format, the OpenRC in its system, and it seems decent. I mean, it's decently quick. I got it to boot to a frame buffer console, and that would work. So I, I honestly could have checked my email through MUT. The network adapter was working and everything. If I could have figured out MUT, I probably could have done that. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if that counts. So for about four hours, I was messing around with the X server config. And as someone who hasn't messed with xorg.conf before, wow, I don't envy you all. You're missing out. <laughs> but it was having issues with uh, loading the modules. So the R128 driver hasn't been maintained in forever and neither has ATI in general. So it just it just ended up not working in the end. I spent about five-ish hours on it and decided I wasn't having fun anymore. <laughs> but I found another operating system for it called Morph OS. So Morph OS appears to have come out of the Amiga community. I'm trying to get the history on it, but I can't really... It, it's thick. It's hard to discern. Yeah, it's like a modern version of Amiga Workbench, isn't it? I think it is. It runs Amiga software, and it runs Motorola 68000 software, just like <laughs> native, but it's emulated. 
And it's a mixture of some proprietary and some open source aspects then. And this is the problem that I realized far too late into my use of it. I thought it was just open source because it's available to download. It looks like an open source project from the outside, but it is in fact a mix of proprietary and open source software. And in fact, if you have it booted for more than 30 minutes, it slows you down until you buy a license for $80. <laughs> <laughs> wow. On a PowerPC G4 uh, running at like 400 megahertz, that's not good. <laughs> So you said you checked your email. Presumably it took less than 80 minutes. But did you try and check it after the 80 minutes? And was it possible? Well, I didn't want to run it for that long anyway, because the power supply is bad. <laughs> so the largest software catalog for MorphOS says that people use it because they do not want to be menaced by the unfathomable depths of Unix-like systems that are fully manageable only by Linux geeks. So this is the situation we're coming in on here. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I ran this thing, you know, in like 30 minute segments for a grand total of two, three hours, and I couldn't figure out how to make a shortcut on my desktop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the supported hardware here, and you can run it on an Amiga 1200, 3000 or 4000 if you have an accelerator card for PPC. Yeah. But what an interesting list of hardware it runs on, as well as the G4 and G5 Max. Which means it runs on the G4 Cube, which a lot of people would kill to get in my circle. <laughs> So you can see my screenshot in the show doc. I got it running. I got the web browser Wayfarer running and I got it to Google Docs and typed out the two lines you see above the screenshot in the document and pasted that image in with the screenshot program. But I also checked my email using the Iris email client, which is actually really good. Better than expected for something like this. And it ran really fast. Well, email clients are not exactly a novel thing, are they? It's a relatively straightforward thing to do these days. Well, you say that, Joe, but I'm looking at the release notes here and version 3.16 released on March the 9th, 2022. The first release note is added notification system and email client. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what it's supposed to say. Well, I think that you almost completed the challenge. But I don't think you're going to win the challenge because it's not properly open source. The interface is GPL by the looks of things. But uh, yeah, that slowdown stuff, <laughs> I think, <laughs> discounts it somehow. We are taking the piss out of it because, you know, it's weird old software or weird new software. But it shows you this, like, hobbyist world and in some places, semi-professional or even professional world of people who just want to keep running the Amiga OS software, just want to keep this old hardware running and doing something useful. And I think it's really novel and it's almost noble in a way, the way that they're going about it. So I'm not upset at all by them charging a license fee to use a software. I think all software should be paid for. And honestly, I had a lot of fun using it, even if I had no idea what I was doing. And in fairness, you use the word hobbyist there. There are people who would still describe Linux as hobbyist. And I think this very much disproves that theory. <laughs> <laughs> Stop being mean to it. I, I really liked my time with it, honestly. Imagine what it would be like on modern hardware. It was honestly really fast on that old Power Mac. And of course, it has a SSD-ish thing in it now. But it's still that old CPU. It booted... In less than a minute, I mean, software starts up in 
under 30 seconds every time, no matter what I ran, even Wayfarer. It is genuinely impressive what they have managed to do with this stuff. This thing's 22 years old. And this does run on modern hardware, Jay. You can run it on the Pi 400. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it would probably be somewhat usable, I guess. Yeah, I'm seeing here as well, there's an Amiga 1X5000 board that came out in 2016 that has DDR3, Gigabit Ethernet, and SATA 2. So, that's, you know, it's supporting some more modern protocols as well. It's its its own thing with its whole lineage through time, all the way back from the Amiga 1200 through the G4, G5 to, to more modern stuff. I feel like we need to get Graham on this from Late Night Linux. I think that he would know more about it. Yeah, I feel like he's probably used MorphOS at some point. Yeah, I'll have to ask him about that next Monday when we record. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Vulture. Go to getvulture.com slash LAD to sign up and get $200 free credit to use in 30 days. Vulture offers high-performance cloud compute, bare metal, and storage in 25 locations all over the world. You can pick from 12 operating systems, including Windows, or you can bring your own ISO. Vulture's Marketplace offers one-click installation of more than 50 applications and operating systems, including Minecraft and other game servers, VoIP and VPN platforms, content management systems like WordPress, and cPanel. Also, check out their optimized plans, CPU, memory, and storage-optimized instances, featuring the latest AMD Epic chips. So go to getvulture.com LAD to get you $200 credit and support the show. That's G-E-T-V-U-L-T-R dot com slash L-A-D. So I think I have you beaten, Dalton, even though the hardware I used was much more modern, relatively speaking, but I used two devices. I had a Lynx 7 tablet and a Nexus 5. The Nexus 5 you are very familiar with. The Lynx 7 tablet, this is uh, a small 7-inch tablet that originally came with Windows 8. and It's got a 720p-ish display, a quad-core Atom Bay Trail, a Z3735G. It's a very, very weak processor. And these were a really cheap tablet that you could buy in a supermarket over here for like 100 quid eight years ago, right? Yeah, and there were some deals for 50 quid at some point. And I think I paid about 20 or 30 quid for it on eBay about five or six years ago. Yeah, so these were never a high-end device. No, it's got a gigabyte of RAM, which I know sounds like a lot compared to what you were using, Dalton, but uh, no, this this thing is pretty weak. Now, you can install Ubuntu-based distros on it, but it's got a 32-bit EFI, even though it's a 64-bit CPU, which means that you either have to run some shonky script or change the boot file or something anyway, there's a much simpler way to get Linux on it, and that is just use a Fedora-based distro. And so I downloaded Fedora 36 LXDE spin and installed it, no problem on there. It ran perfectly well. I mean, it was slow and everything. Honestly, the hardest part was getting the disk prepared for automatic partitioning because the installer, which I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Anaconda generally, but on this really weak hardware, it just didn't run well and took a long time and took me a few goes round and it's quite confusing. But I got there in the end, got it installed. And so then I just downloaded Maru OS and pushed it to the uh, Nexus 5 using ADB, which was easy to install. So that was a useful thing. I managed to install Maru OS on the Nexus 5 using the tablet. 
So I think that that, uh, I may not win, but that definitely qualifies for the challenge. That was a useful thing that I did with the tablet. So then that was that. And then Maru OS, which I mentioned it in our chat. And Gary, you were like, that's still a thing. Yeah, I was really <laughs> shocked because I remember you talking about it years and years ago. It might have even been on Luddites. And yeah, I, would, I was surprised it still existed. I remember you saying its praises of when we originally decided to fork Ubuntu Touch. Yeah. Uh, it's been around for a long time. There hasn't been any activity for quite some time, unfortunately. The website is still up. You can still download it. But for the Nexus 5, you've got Android 8.1, which is not terribly ancient, but it's not the most up-to-date, obviously. And for those who don't know, it has a Debian container on it, which is Debian 9 Stretch, which is just, just still supported technically. And when you plug in an HDMI cable, you need, uh, what's the, the adapter you need, Dalton? You'd know this. Slim port. That's the one. Slim port adapter to HDMI from the micro USB, plug it into an HDMI screen, and then boom, you've got a Debian and XFCE desktop, and it's brilliant. So I thought this is going to be easy. I'll just fire up Firefox, open up Google Docs, make the notes that I had in my head for this segment, and I'll be done in about half an hour. Turns out that uh, that ancient version of Debian has got Firefox ESR, and that is Firefox 60.9. So this isn't even an up-to-date Firefox ESR, because they're in the 90-somethings now, I think. Yes, yes they are. And so nothing works. Web.telegram.org didn't work. Google Drive didn't work, because it just said you need a more up-to-date browser. So I thought, hmm, well, I'll just go to the Firefox website and download a tarball. But unfortunately, there's no ARM HF tarball because this is a 32-bit ARM CPU. I didn't even look for ARM64. I don't even know if that's available. So that wasn't going to work. I tried specifically updating and doing a few apt tricks. Nothing would work. So I thought, right, well, the only thing to do here is try updating Debian. So I <laughs> edited my sources.list, <laughs> went for the disk upgrade, and then about halfway through that, the screen went black. And that was the end of that. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say, I was thinking I'd just compile Firefox from source. <laughs> oh, the poor Nexus 5, it would be on fire. <laughs> it would, yeah. And I suddenly realized, oh, why didn't I try Snap and Flatpak before that? And so I thought, oh, I'll just reset it to factory settings, you know, it'll be fine. No, that didn't work. The Debian container just wouldn't boot. And so, right, okay, I'm going to have to wipe it and install MoroOS again. But for some reason, that worked, and I booted into it, and then it just did that weird thing where everything's crashing. Like, you know, it says emails stopped working, and, you know, launcher keeps crashing. And so I, I checked my checksums and everything, but no, what I had to do to fix that was to install Lineage again, and then wipe it, and then install Maru, and then it worked, no problem. But Snap and Flatpak, forget about it. Snap doesn't work at all because of um, kernel issues, I think, because yep. it's an ancient, like, 3.something kernel. 3.4. Yeah, so that's just not happening. And I don't really know much about Flatpak, so I got some Flatpak ref files for Firefox and Chromium, but then when I tried to install them, it just said there was no ARMHF version of either of them. So that was the end of that. I tried Chromium, Midori, and Epiphany from the repos, but again... They just weren't working with modern uh, websites. So then I thought, hmm, what if I just spoof the user agent? And sure enough, just made these websites think I was using Firefox 100 
And uh, yeah, I was able to just load drive, no problem, get into it and uh, make my document. Are you saying that Mario OS and Debian 9 come with an older, more out-of-date web browser than MorphOS's Wayfarer? Because it's based on a 2022 branch of WebKit. I think I'm saying that too, yes. Huh, I did win, kind of. You won that aspect of it, yeah. And I got to run Google Drive in it. You got a newer browser engine. I'm not sure that defines a win. <laughs> <laughs> but I just could not get Telegram to work at all on the Nexus 5. Either the web version or, well, there was no Snap or Flatpak available because it's the, the wrong architecture. So I thought, right, what I want to do is I want to find the original message that you had sent to us, Dalton, about that Forks thing and put that into uh, a document. Mm-hmm. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to install Telegram on the tablet then. So I did, no problem. But it was just too slow to go back through and search for all those messages. And then I just did it on my phone really quickly and just found it within about two seconds after about half an hour of trying to find this this message. So I failed that personal challenge. But I did do something useful with both of the devices. So I have completed the challenge, even if I'm not going to win the challenge. So I've got some bad news for you, Joe. The Power Mac has USB, and it can run a modern Linux with Adelie. And I'm pretty sure I can get an APK of ADB on it. So I could do the same challenge as you with significantly older hardware and still win. Well, Chris and Gary, you're going to have to come up with something pretty special to beat us, I think, in the next episode. And Dalton, if you want to have another go and try and beat me, feel free. (laughs) And uh, dear listener, Email us, show at linuxafterdark.net with your ideas of what you would do with your oldest hardware. And it has to be useful and only you can define what is useful. But with that then, we'd better get out of here. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been wondering how to case mod a Power Mac. (laughs) See you later. (laughs)